morning, Chapel Scott's edition. Good morning, good morning. You can be seated. Well, we're in a series on relationships, and I'll tell you about that in just a second, but I always love to start by looking in the camera the back of the room and saying good morning to the chapel in Richmond, Scott's edition. Love what God's doing in the city. In fact, I saw the last two nights, the, the, the incredible ways the facility's been used there in Richmond for local outreaches and missions partners. So way to go, Chapel Scott's edition. We love what God's doing there. And then, of course, we love all the men and women in Department of Corrections in Virginia. You are not a project to us. You're our people, and we love you. It's a joy to be able to stream into you today. And uh, uh, we're in a series on the book of Ruth. I'll tell you about that in just a second. But um, but I also want to let you know, in just two weeks, we're launching a brand new series in the month of March, which really is about vision, where God's leading us and where he's directing us and where he's taking us. And so uh, we, we got a couple dinners this week to kind of talk to uh, some people in our church. You want to be a part of that, you can email me. We still have a couple spots open, but just to give some updates and what God's doing and next. And thank you for your incredible generosity. I don't know if you noticed this, but we got curbs outside. Come on, they're putting curbs in the field. So I'm pretty excited about some curbs. It means there's other stuff coming too. So uh, it's a little things in it. And uh, so thank you for those of you committed, just part of next, the difference you're making. And um, so we take the month of uh, February and we talk about relationships. How many know God's got a plan for our relationships? How many know relationships are both wonderful and challenging, aren't they? In fact, I remember a couple of years ago, one of my favorite baristas at Starbucks started coming to church. And when she joined Growth Track, I said, I know what team you're going to sign up for, hospitality. You're the most hospitable person. Every day I come in this Starbucks in the morning and you're peppy and steppy, you know, all the, and she said, I do not want to talk to anyone on Sundays. And I was like, how is that possible? She's like, dealing with people all week. You know, how many know what I'm talking about? People are wonderful and people are interesting, aren't they? Well, you know, God has a plan for our relationships. And the book of Ruth, we've been looking at bad dates, roommates, soulmates, and God's good plan for our relationships. And it's the eighth book of the Bible, a little four-chapter book. Um, about Ruth's life and Naomi's life and God's good plan for their life. And the book starts, if you remember, in chapter one with pain and disappointment and things not going their way. In fact, Ruth's, um, Ruth's husband passes away and Naomi, her, her, uh, her mother-in-law's husband passes away. I mean, just two widows. You got pain, you got difficulty, you got loss. In fact, Naomi's name means pleasant, okay? And, and Katie, will you help me? My shoelace is untied and it's in, I have this OCD problem in my, I know this is terrible. Is that possible? But just, I thought on Valentine's Day, you could just tie it, just tie it, just tie it. It's a mess. Just don't draw attention to it. You want me to help? It's fine. It's just ripped. Just do it quick. Yeah, I do need new laces. We'll take an offering. Thank you. I have this OCD thing in my head that once something goes, okay, uh, I want to turn to the camera. No, I'm just kidding. All right, everybody ready? Turn to the person next to you and tell him he's got some problems. Come on, he got some. I got this OCD thing. I'm telling you, I get stuck on something. And uh, 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 what was they saying? So, okay. Uh, 
Naomi and, 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 and Ruth, they have everything go wrong in chapter one of the book of Ruth. In fact, it's kind of like a country song, okay? Their truck breaks down, their dog dies. It's just terrible, okay? And, and in fact, Naomi's name means pleasant one. And she's so frustrated with the Lord that, that she, uh, she, she, when people call her Naomi, which means pleasant one, she says, call me Mara, bitter one, okay? So she's frustrated, angry. Has anybody ever had anything in life not meet your expectations? Come on, anybody. Every once in a while, I'm doing some premarital counseling, and, 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 and he says, she's perfect, and she says, he's perfect. And they say, we don't know what it's going to be like just being married to perfect people. And I say, you definitely don't know what it's like, you know. Because just life is unmet expectations sometimes in, in all kinds of avenues of life. And that's Ruth and Naomi's life, except in a bad way, a painful way. Life hasn't lived up for what they, what they were thinking of and dreaming of. And chapter one of the book of Ruth ends with disappointment and pain and heartache and difficulty. And, and Naomi is in this place where she doesn't know where to turn. But luckily, it's amazing because Ruth meets a man named Boaz. Come on, somebody say Boaz, right? And, and we've been learning their love. In fact, didn't we have a great message yesterday, last week on, on, on their first date? Right? And it's incredible. Boaz and Ruth start falling in love. And, and yet there's a snag in, the, in this whole thing. And that is that the man who, uh, Boaz wants to marry Ruth and Ruth wants to marry Boaz. But in Levitical Jewish law, Leviticus 25, there is a closer, what's called a kinsman redeemer who has an opportunity to marry Ruth before this man. So it's kind of like you're watching this, um, this love story on, on Lifetime, you know, you know, the Lifetime movies, come on, the loves, come on, the notebook kind of thing. And, and there's a snag, oh no, somebody might marry Ruth and it's not going to be Boaz. And so Boaz meets this man and it's where we pick it up in Ruth chapter four. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there just as the guardian redeemer, this is the other guy he mentioned, came along. And Boaz said to the man, come on here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. And this is the moment where Boaz is going to talk to this man and figure out if he's going to take Ruth as his wife. But one of the things I see throughout chapter 3 and 4 in Ruth is Boaz was never in a rush. He was trusting God in the process. He didn't force the issue. He didn't rush into the relationship. By the way, anyone dating, patience is a good thing in relationships. Come on, somebody, right? In fact, my grandpa said to, to my, uh, one of his granddaughters, it's better to want a man you don't have than have a man you don't want. Come on, somebody. That'll preach. And, and Boaz wasn't rushing in anything. He knew there were some complications, but he's going to be willing to take his time, be patient, and he trusted God. He was neither, he sat down, he was neither hurried or worried. I don't know about you, but I think we live in a world that's hurried and worried, right? And I think we could use a little less hurry and worry. This is amazing. In Boaz, models what it's like to trust God. And, and so those of you that are a little bit like, no, 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 I'm, I'm a make it happen kind of person. We have to be careful because if we're not careful, we'll start to make things happen that God doesn't want to happen because <laughs> we're in the make it happen. Where are the type A, come on, just come on. You're partially like, come on, just raise your hand, right? I have a little bit of this in me the other day. It was a month or so ago, we were at a restaurant and I saw the server identify the three groups in front of us and mark down which table she's going to take them to. And in taking the first group to the table, there was, took a little while and I knew where the next group was going and it was, the line was backing up. And so I started, I got this thought in my head 
I could just, I know, I could help out right now. And so I started to move towards it, and I said, I think I know. And Katie's like, you stop it right now. And I was like, I'm just going to help around here. Like, you, you're not helping. She's like, who asked you to seat someone here? To, how many know some of us need to back off a little? Come on, right? Like, and, and this is what I love about Boaz. Instead of forcing it, in, instead of making it happen, instead of avoiding it, instead of rushing, he learns to come on somebody. He learns to what? Help, help me out. He learns what? Trust God. He, he, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight, right? It's about trusting God and not leaning in our own understanding. Boaz wasn't going to rush the process. He was going to trust the Lord in the process. And some of us need to be reminded that we can trust God and not lean in our own understanding. You might not believe this, but in high school, I was a basketball player, and uh, uh, I dated this girl named Katie, who I eventually married, and she was a cheerleader. Come on, somebody. And uh, I'll never forget one of my favorite cheers. We went to a Christian school of about 500 students. Faith Heritage Saints was our name. And I'll never forget Katie in her little cheerleading outfit saying this, 2468-1018, all you saints get up and lean. And then all the crowd would do this. Alina, 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 Alina. Woo! Alina, 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 Alina. Woo! Exactly, okay. So the cheer was something like this. We're going to practice it together. Ready? And you help me with the Lenas, okay? It was this. Two, four, six, eight, ten, eighteen. All you saints, get up and lean. You're welcome. Great job. Turn to the person next to you and tell him you could be a cheerleader. Go on. Just tell him that. Even if he's got a beard, just tell him. Come on. You'd be a great cheerleader. I'm convinced one of the dangers in our life is that we're a leaning on our own strength, on our own wisdom, on our own understanding. And I'm here to remind us today, God is in charge of it all. He created it all. He's got our life in his hands. He does not need our help getting it done. We can trust. How many are grateful we can trust in the Lord, right? Trust in the Lord. And that's what Boaz does. He's unhurried. He's unworried. In fact, I was noticing this in Revelation that it says that in front of the throne of God, he sits, there's a, a, a sea that's still as glass, the Bible says. This actually means that to get a sea still as glass means there's no activity, no wind, no, meaning God is not up in heaven moving around nervous about what makes us nervous. He's sitting unhurried and unworried. And man, some of us in this world, in this life, in this circumstance could use a little unhurried, unworried trust in a God who's got it all together, right? And Boaz, I just see this, this man who's just, he's not living a frantic life. He's not living a, I'm going to force it life. He's not living, I'm going to have to make, he's just trusting God. Not only is Boaz trust God, but he's got an incredible generosity in his life. In fact, I want you to see this from the beginning of Boaz's life. We see him in generosity. Remember two weeks ago in Ruth chapter two, he tells his workers, drop a little extra barley on the ground when you're gleaning so that Ruth can scoop it up. 
Meaning he's not into making every cent. He also wants to take what God's trusted him with and make a difference in generosity to those around him. So I want you to see this. Boaz goes in Ruth chapter four to tell the man who could redeem Ruth. uh, And I want you to see what he says. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my what? Own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot redeem do it. So Boaz tells this man who has the legal right in Jewish law, Leviticus 25, to to get a chance to redeem Ruth and her estate first. And this man says, I cannot do it. And you know, I was reading this verse and I noticed this, I, me, myself, six times in one verse, this guy talks about himself. I, me, my, he's all about him. He doesn't care about Ruth's need, Naomi's need, the brokenness of the circumstance around them. All he can think about is himself. And guess what? If you read all of the book of Ruth, you'll never hear this man by name. You want to know why? Because stingy people don't leave, a, don't leave a legacy. His name is never mentioned in the book of Ruth. He's just that man, the other guy. Like, why? Because I think this is true. Selfish people can't leave a good legacy. This man was about himself and all that he could get. And God, was, and God wants to break the back of stinginess and, and selfishness in our world, okay? In fact, Proverbs puts it this way, that the world of the generous gets larger and larger, but the world of the stingy gets what? Smaller and smaller. A life devoted to things is a dead life, a stump. A God-shaped life is a flourishing tree. Don't you love this verse? It says that the generous people are like a tree that produces branches and shade that other people can get under. The, the, The stingy are like a stump. Now, I've seen people be proud of their plants they grow. I've never seen anybody who's like, you gotta come over, I got this stump. It is the prettiest stump you've ever seen. Like, we cut the tree halfway down, but I'm telling you, that's some stump, isn't it? You know, because why? There's no shade there. There's no legacy. And that's what the Bible says. That, that I love this. When you see this man in Ruth chapter 4 who has the right to redeem Ruth, he's all about himself and will never learn his name. Because I think this is true. When you make your life all about yourself, you'll live in a very small world, Right? And this man was all about him, what he could get, what he could have. I want you to see how selfless um, Boaz was. He literally says, I'm going to marry Ruth, Malon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain. Look at this. He's not even thinking about himself. In order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. today. Meaning... Boaz isn't even just thinking about love and Ruth. He's thinking about Ruth's, um, Ruth's husband who's passed away and his legacy and his name. There's something about people that care about other people. There's something about people that aren't just selfish and self-centered and what they can accomplish but want to help make a difference in the world around them. And that's what I see in Boaz's life, a life of generosity. And I just want to say, this is true. You, you heard our team talk about it earlier in the service. This is true of the chapel. You're a generous church. In fact, we're preparing to put together some materials just to show you what your generosity is doing in the world. But I was sitting with um, Jack Reisner, one of the church relations leaders of Convoy of Hope, just this past week. And and he was saying, he wanted me to thank you personally. Because do you know when Convoy of Hope, when the, when the earthquake hit Turkey and Syria, and I, is, are the death tolls up to like 40,000 now or something? Uh, 
Convoy of Hope went into action, and you need to know you're one of the flagship churches of Convoy of Hope in, in generosity. And here's what he said. I thought it was so powerful. He said, in other parts of the world, whoever shows up first with humanitarian aid is the ears that people listen to. And he said, I want you to just go back and tell the chapel that because of their generosity, right now humanitarian aid and care are going to people not in a a predominantly Muslim part of the world, but not through Muslims, but through Jesus-loving people. The local church showed up first in the name, come on somebody, in the name of Jesus Christ. Winning the ear of the people. In fact, we're leaving that open on the website. You'll see it just says earthquake relief. You want to be a part of, we're trying to, trying to send at least $30,000 to them this next week and just, just say, man, we just want to be a part of the blessing. We're already supporting you, but we want to be a part of helping people who are suffering. How many know that's what Jesus would do? It's not just about us. It's about the needs around us. This is Boaz. He lived a generous life. He was generous with the, with the reputation of Ruth and with her Malon, her former deceased husband, with his estate, his name, he wanted to live a generous life. In fact, let me just give a little plug for small groups. We just, just to be a best resource we can as a church, God put it on one of our members' hearts to launch two small groups this semester, one in Midlothian, one in Scott's edition, called Financial Peace. And if you haven't been through this, um, we've all been, a bunch of us have been through it. It's just a way to, to, to coach you and equip you on how to form a budget and how to pay off debt and how to invest and how to best honor God with your money. It's a whole small group curriculum that'd be a blessing to you, just a way of equipping you to, how many know God owns everything and we need to learn wisdom when it comes to finances? Can I get a big amen to that? And that's what, that's what, uh, that's what Boaz had, had. And so here's the good news. The, the great news is this guy decided not to marry Ruth. And so it was time. Come on, somebody. Bo- Boaz and Ruth are going to get married. Everybody breathes a sigh of relief. Come on. Oh, yeah. This is so good. Come on. It's going to be good. In fact, in fact, I want you to see what happens at the town gate when, when all the elders and the people at the town gate said, oh, we're witnesses here. That the Lord, uh, may the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. Here's what they're saying. May you have a ton of kids, okay? Now, Rachel and Leah are the mothers of the 12 tribes of Israel. Here's what the people are saying to Boaz and Ruth. Would you give birth to legacy? Would you give birth to legacy generations? In fact, would you make such a difference that you'd be famous in Bethlehem through your offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman? May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Okay, so here's the idea. Uh, uh, Boaz marries, marries Ruth, and the people are there at the gate just speaking life, speaking blessing, speaking truth over them. And, and this is the third thing I see. Not only trust God and live generously. Would you say this with me? Come on. Let's be a people who what? Come on, speak speak life. I don't know about you. I think we live in a pretty negative world. How many know we live in a cancel culture? I don't, if I don't like what you say, I'm going to write. How many know we need to be a community of faith that speaks life, right? In fact, I'm convinced that most people have had enough chopping down to last an entire lifetime. Okay. We need to be a people that speak life. And I was looking back through the whole book of Ruth. I'll just, I can't pull all the scriptures on the screen, but everywhere you look, they speak life. Ruth 2, 4 to 10, when Boaz shows up in the field, he says, the Lord be with you. And the people say back, the Lord also with you. They're speaking life. And 
In chapter 4 at the gate, they're speaking life over Boaz and Ruth's marriage. May you guys have kingdom uh, influencing kids that would change the world. At the end of the book of Ruth, you're going to see the women speak life over Naomi. There's just life, life, life. I think we have too much death spoken in our world. I think we need some life spoken in our world. I'll never forget I was in teen camp at a, at a summer camp as a kid. And the speaker had a big box with him. And he said, what is the most dangerous weapon in the world? And he reaches in the box and he pulls out a sword and he holds up a sword. And he's like, is it a sword? And we were like, wow, this guy's brought a sword, you know. And he tells the story of all the battles and he says, no, it's not a sword. And he puts the sword back in the box and he pulls out a knife, you know. And, you know, is it a knife? And he talks about all the crime stats with knives. Is it a knife? No. Pulls out a crossbow, you know what I mean? And my friend and I are like, let's grab that box at the altar call. You know what I mean? Like, is it a crossbow? No, it's not a crossbow. And he, he puts it back and he takes out a shotgun, okay? Now, those of you that didn't grow up in the 80s, you could do this in the 80s. How many know what I'm talking about? Anybody remember? I remember driving from New York to Florida and sleeping on the back window without a seatbelt for 20 hours. Where are the people that grew up in the 80s? Come on. We just licked asbestos. I'm telling you, like, it was just part of life. You didn't, you know, and he had put blanks in this shotgun and there was like an overhang. And so he goes outside the, and he shoots the gun. Is it a shotgun? And we're like, wow, this guy's awesome. You know, and he's like, comes back and it's not a shotgun. And he reaches in and he pulls out some kind of like cattle tongue or cow tongue. And he tosses it to the front row. Imagine that right now. And this kid just catches this tongue. And everyone's just looking at this kid with this wet, <laughs> drooly tongue. And he says, I'll tell you what, that's the most dangerous weapon in the world. Guess what? I never forgot that sermon. <laughs> and I remember him saying, that has destroyed more marriages than any weapon. That has split more churches than any weapon. That has destroyed the future of more children than any weapon. And I want to tell you, you say, where does that come from? Proverbs tells us that the tongue, what, has the power of what? Life and death. And I think we need to be a people that speak life over one another. Come on. Speak life in the community. Speak life. We need, we need it to get out. The rumor should be on the street that if you're beaten down, sad, and rejected, there still is a place in Richmond where people speak life and hope and joy. In fact, somebody sent me this little, I almost made this into a cheerleader thing when I had the cheerleader thing going this week. God created rivers. God created lakes. God created you. Hey, you make mistakes, okay? That's good, isn't it? I, Here's all I'm telling you. Everyone makes mistakes. We need to be people who speak life. I was a 26-year-old pastor when I asked a, a, a minister named Ron Piedmont. He was in his early 80s at that time. And he built a great church. And I said, teach me something I don't know. I said, I'm 26. I'm a brand new pastor. I can't believe this church elected me as pastor. I'll never forget it. Katie and I went home and they picked us as pastors. We were like, wow, I can't believe they did that. That's a bad move. And... Uh, <laughs> 26, you know, and so I was like, I need to get an old guy around me and ask him something, and so I started meeting with Pastor Ron Piedmont, I said, teach me something, and he said, well, you know what the problem is with 20-something pastors, and I said, no, tell me, he said, you think people care what you say, and I 
said, okay, this is going rough, you know? <laughs> he said, people will never remember what you say, but they will remember how you made them feel. And I said, okay, that's good. And I said, what else? And he said, I have nothing else to say to you because I don't think you really heard it. If you'll spend the rest of your life not just focusing on what you had to say, but looking into people's eyes and focusing on how you make them feel, care enough about them to make them uh, uh, care about how they feel, they'll walk away and sometimes they'll never know what you say, but they'll know they've been in the presence of a, of a community. I think that's one of the things God's done in the life of the chapel. It's not, I, don't know, I don't know if we have it all together in every way. We're just trying to create a, a community of faith where people don't have it all together, but it, the rumor can be out on the street. There's love and there's grace and there's kindness and there's personal care and there's people that will speak life over you. Anybody believe that, right? Like speak life over you. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So can I want to see how the story ends? You want to see how the story ends? Here it is. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. How many know God created sex? Amen. This was the strongest response of any service. I'm taking note. Okay. That was strong. Okay. Interesting. Uh, Here's all I'm saying. The world has, has, has coined it that that's their thing. And I think the church has run, run away from it. Somebody said there are three worldviews when it comes to sex. That sex is either God, meaning you make an idol out of it. Or if it's gross, meaning you, it's always bad. Or God has designed. How many know God has designed human sexuality to bring joy, pleasure, and children? Right? Come on, right? And that's the foundation block. Honestly, when you look at, the, it's really not more complicated in the book of Genesis, but God made them male and female and said, now get married and have some kids. And, and how many know we're trying to complicate this whole thing? And it's pretty simple. I don't have much more to say on that, okay? I mean, I do, but I won't say it. I mean, I, I, I have four kids because I really love my wife, not kids. So come on, let's move on. And God gives Ruth children. And I want you to know this. God had a dream for Ruth's life when she stopped dreaming on her own. I just had this sense that there'd be people who walk into these rooms this weekend. You stopped dreaming because the start of your chapter wasn't, wasn't what you thought it was going to be. So you already pre-wrote the, the end chapters in your book thinking that it's ending. And I'm here to tell you just because the first couple of chapters are bad doesn't mean the end has to be bad. How many know the best can still be to come, right? And I want you to see it because the Bible describes what came out of Ruth and Boaz's union. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Abinadab. Abinadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. Now, here's what I want you to see. Ruth, in her first marriage before Malon died, was unable to have, she was married for 10 years and unable to have children. So at least humanly speaking, Ruth would think that there was some physical limitation that precluded her from having children. And yet when she gets married to Boaz, she has a child. And the author, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, lists 10 generations. I want you to see it this way. 
For 10 years, Ruth was barren. But the author includes 10 generations that came from her and Boaz's relationship. It's as if the author is screaming through the family line that what was 10 years of brokenness and pain and disappointment was redeemed and restored with 10 generations of blessing that came from the Lord. And I'm just so glad that God still brings blessing and brings life. In fact, after Ruth gives birth, Naomi, the grandma, remember, she's the bitter one. Ruth chapter one, don't call me Naomi pleasant. Call me Mara bitter. Here's how it ends. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who's not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be, I love these words. Come on, somebody say him. He shall be what? Come on, say him with me. A what? Restorer. Come on, how many know our God is a restorer of life? So Naomi starts bitter, angry, disappointed, pain, uh, unmet expectations, death, decay. And it ends with the town gathering around her. Come on. She's got her girlfriends in this verse. Mm -hmm. Her girlfriend's cheering her on. You go, girl. Restorer of life. You say, no, 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 I'm too old. No, and may this child be a what? A nourisher of your old age. Let me say to everybody who's a little bit older, God still has dreams and visions and plans and purpose. And he has all that experience that you've had for you not to sit on the, in fact, I think one of the great lies of the enemy is to tell people to retire and and get alone. In fact, I was, Katie and I were at a pastor's uh, uh, retreat the other day and I'm flying back last week on and I'm reading this piece of newspaper and it's talking about this guy who retired and all he did was collect seashells and he had hundreds and thousands of seashells and I'm reading this and I'm getting mad and she's like, what are you mad about? I'm like, look at all this guy's seashells. And she's like, why are you mad about seashells? I said, I'm not. I'm mad that this news magazine is saying that you should spend your whole life building a business, having kids, and then you should go rot in Florida and collect 30,000 different types of seashells. This guy needs to get a life and get living on purpose. I might start a ministry for retired people to tell them, get off the sidelines and back in the game of ministry, at least, to make a difference for Jesus. So that, that, whatever, I don't need to say that, that, do that, and then... For your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons has given birth. And Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and he became his nurse. I want you to see this. Naomi who started in chapter one, call me bitter, ends with her grandson in her lap nursing, saying, I'm gonna raise him and it's gonna be known all over town that the Lord has been good to me. Not only that, seven times better than what the pain I went through is eclipsed by the blessing God has for me. All right, one last verse and we're done, okay? Turn to the person next to you, tell them, wake up, we're almost done. Come on, tell them that, wake up. We're almost done. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. I could preach that for a minute. Can I just pause for a second? Had a son been born to Naomi? No, a son had been born to Ruth. The book of Ruth could almost be called Naomi. It's, here's what it's saying. The hopes and dreams. It's as if God heard her prayer. A son has been born. It's changed his grandma's life. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse. Come on, somebody help me. The father of who? David, who was the great, 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 great grandfather. Somebody help me of King Jesus. Come on. How many know Ruth, a nobody from Moab that nobody cared about, is now part of the family line of Jesus Christ? 
because somebody nobody cared about, God cared about. And I wanna just say this this weekend. The book of Ruth, yes, is about relationships with Ruth and Boaz, but even more than that, it's about the story of God getting ready to send his son, Jesus Christ, through the line of King David to resurrect. Ruth's is about Jesus. The chapel is about Jesus. Your marriage needs to be about Jesus. Your families need to be about Jesus. Your business needs to be about, come on, somebody, get the theme, Jesus. In fact, so many churches are caught in religion. What, do you, what does your church think about this? And end times, you should split the church over end times or some side, what Bible version or what, what one distraction a church can get. Do you sing hymns or, or, or choruses or do you, do you do what version of the Bible or how do you, listen, churches need to not get distracted and all. How many know it's just about Jesus Christ? That's what the book of Ruth is about. That's what our lives are about. A story of Jesus. How many know it's about, it's about what? Come on, it's about. You could go to a lot of churches that could tell you three steps to a better marriage, four steps to a better relationship with your kids. And I'm not saying we don't need all those things. But a lot of those churches inherently, subtly teach you this. If you just get a little bit better at being you, you'll be okay. I have horrible news this weekend. You're going to need more than you. <laughs> and I'm going to need more than me. How many know we need more than ourselves? We need a rescue mission sent from heaven, from the Father, sending the Son in the power of the Spirit to forgive us and give us new life. I'm gonna pray in just a second. I shared this in the prison a couple weeks ago, but it illustrates the point. I think it's been a while since I shared it here. There's a boy who, um, he built model boats and it was his favorite um, toy was this boat and every day we'd go to the town center he'd push his little boat out on the water and he'd have a string and watch his boat sail on the lake and one day was a windy day and the wind caught the sail of that boat and pulled the boat out to sea and the boy lost the string and he watched as this, this boy's treasured toy possession his model boat disappeared into the lake a couple days later, he's walking through the town square and he walked past a toy store and saw his boat in the window and he ran into the, to the toy store owner and said, that's my boat, I lost it. Here's what happened. The man said, I'm sorry, we bought that boat from somebody you're gonna have to pay. The boy didn't have any money, but he went home and he got every job he could from his neighbors. He raked leaves, he moved trash. He did everything he could till he finally earned enough money and went back downtown to that little toy store and with a kind of a crumbled wad of cash he walked up to the toy store and he slapped the the money for his boat on the counter the man handed him his boat from the window and the boy walked out of that store holding his model boat back and, and the boy stood there and he looked at the boat and he said these words boat you're twice mine once because i made you but twice because i bought you right and that is essentially the story of every christian we're twice god's once because he made us, but how many know because of our own sin and our own choices, we wandered away from God. Any sinners in the room? Come on, right? Like anybody ever made a mistake in the room, right? Like, but the great news is God doesn't leave us lost in the sea. He buys us with his own son, Jesus. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says scarcely once in a while, maybe someone would die for a righteous man. But God did the unthinkable. He died for sinners. And then he gives us a chance to say, we're twice his. 
Let me tell you why it's all about Jesus. My family's story is the story of a 26-year-old, my father, who grew up in mild religion but was an alcoholic. And if I, if I even knew the full story of my dad's upbringing, he's so dysfunctional in every way. And he's a, he's a drunk, and he wanders into a, a patio furniture store to buy an umbrella for his furniture for patio furniture in Syracuse, New York. And the man at the desk starts talking to him and he opens up. 30 minutes later, my dad prays a prayer of faith. His life is radically changed. He never touches alcohol again. 26 till the day I watched my dad die. He never touched alcohol again. Why? Because he didn't walk in. He walked in looking for an umbrella and what he heard wasn't the me. It's not even the perfect theology. He, he I'm telling you, it, I'm just telling you this. Jesus rescued him and changed his life. The story of our church, the story of the gospel, the story of the Bible, the story of humanity is a lamb slain before the foundation of the world who deserves praise and glory and honor and he can forgive our sins it's the one who came through the father of David the the message of Jesus would you bow with me all over this room no one's looking around I'm gonna I'm almost done I know today if you're here today I won't even drag it out you just say pastor I'm not sure I'm right with Jesus pray for me you just lift your hand I won't embarrass you you just lift it and then you put it right back down yes thank you are there others Pray for me. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you, ma'am. Yes, sir, thank you. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else, pastor, pray for me. I'm not certain I'm right with God. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Anybody else, pastor, pray for me in the lobby, Scott's edition online, in the jail. Just raise your hand, God. God, see my hand, see my heart. So, Father, some of us have raised our hand today because we know We know we're sinners, but that you're gracious and kind. So thank you for hearing our prayer today. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die and to rise again to give us new new life and forgiveness. So today we turn away from our sin. We place our faith in Jesus. We believe he died and rose again. We invite you to take over our lives, to live on the inside of us to give us the new life that we couldn't get on our own. And by your grace, God will live for you all the days of our life. For we pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. Chapel, a bunch of people took steps of faith today. Can we tell them we're proud of them today? Proud of you guys. We're going to do something a little different today. We're going to have our band sing us out as we go and I'm going to pray us out today. And uh, if you need prayer, we'll have some of the team down front ready to pray over you. If you made that decision, you want to just talk to somebody, you can meet us at Next Steps or down front or you email us. We'll help you grow in your faith. Would you stand all over this room? Would you just hold your hands out like this for a blessing? Come on in the lobby. Come on, Scott's edition. Chapel, I pray as you go that God will go with you. I pray that his grace and his strength would be upon you. I pray that he'd bless every human relationship. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. Would he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you? Would the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you rest until we meet again? For we pray it in the name of God bless you. Have an amazing Sunday. We'll see you next week. We love you. You need prayer. You come on down front. God bless you.